Hello and welcome to a live pop-up event here on Nimsy Live. This is a regular pop-up podcast, live cast, whatever we're doing here that we do every once in a while. I'm actually, this is the first of two today. We're going to be coming to you live with two different appointments. And our first guest today is Kirill. Um, oh, I asked him how to pronounce his first name, but I forgot to ask him how to pronounce his last name. Jeez. <laughs> Amateur mistake, Tucker. Um, introduce yourself, Kirill Soloviev. Yeah, pretty good, Tucker. Hello, everyone, and thanks for having me on the, the Nimsy Pop-Up podcast. My name is Kirill Soloviev. I'm the CEO and co-founder at ContentQuo. So we built linguistic quality management technology used by some of the largest LSPs and localization departments around the world. And we'll talk a bit more about what we do, I hope, during the podcast. I, I think so. We, we don't really have a set agenda today other than we are talking about quality. And you and I were mm. thinking like right before this and we were talking like, well, what are we going to talk about in regards to quality? Because it's something that here in the language services industry, which is the, the industry in which we both operate, it's a frequent subject to go to any conference, go to any virtual event, and there's going to be someone talking about this ephemeral concept of language quality and what does that mean. And I'd, I'd rather not just talk about quality for the sake of talking about quality today. I'd rather go through some specific things here. And let's start by talking about the virtual quality manager that you and I were talking about earlier. And this is something from from content quo um i'm gonna s s yeah stop talking here and just let you go because this is this is interesting <laughs> what you were talking about right before we went live and i i don't want to mess it up yeah yeah absolutely taka and it's my pleasure to tell more people around the world about uh, you know uh, about our concept so if you folks have been attending the the process innovation challenge at the last year's lock world in, in summer you might have heard it before uh, but like uh, long story short, like nobody really understands how to manage quality in this industry. Maybe not even us. We've just seen too many programs to pretend we understand the entirety of it. And what's even worse, I would say, um, much less people want to actually do this job. So we've seen some recruiting going on recently for quality roles around the industry when oh, it's super tough so uh, i think it will always be like that Specific, uh, quality... specifically what though like a tough recruiting huh? for what for actual quality reviewers like linguists or for quality managers uh, the quality linguists are uh, probably you know a a bunch of dozen but the people who are in charge of the entire quality of whether it's an lsp or you know a large in-house localization team. So these are the tough uh, nuts to crack, and these are the rare people to find. Not the linguists, obviously. Linguists are like the blood of a quality program, but somebody needs to power the brains, right? So uh, it's, it's it's a brainy brainy part behind the operation that's really really tough. Anyway, so like one way to uh, think about it is actually to stop thinking about it. So that's what we thought back in summer 2020. But like, since nobody likes to think about quality, how about we give this industry a way to do exactly that? Like never having to worry about their quality program ever again. Uh, so we set out to define what we now call ADA, 
okay it's 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 a code name for this little thing we're doing here and it's a virtual quality manager so she and she is a piece of technology obviously uh, does all the all the boring work behind running your language quality program behind de-risking you know the quality of deliverables you get from your lsps uh, all the tough work behind getting feedback out to your translators from your in-country reviewers. Basically, Ada takes care of all the things that quality managers don't like to do so that they can keep working with the most important and the most valuable asset they have, which is the, the, the gray matter inside their skull. Like in a nutshell, that's what Ada is. It's a thing to help you forget about managing quality or at least about the routine part of that. So that's that. Forget about quality. That sounds dangerous, just to forget about quality. Forget about quality, yeah. And, and, and this was um, this was submitted for the Process Innovation Challenge. When, when was that? Was that recently or was that last year in 2020? Yeah, good question. Refresh that was last memory. year, 2020. Yeah. About uh, about a year ago, I think the the, the previous lock world was around June ish, July ish time, twenty twenty. And yeah, so if you guys watching have seen this before, if it looks if it sounds and looks familiar, that is why we we do have this video here, and we're discussing whether or not to play. It. I'd like to play it uh, just to give a quick update. And oh, quick quick note as, as we're talking about this, um, this is isn't meant to be like an endorsement or anything of this tool, but it looks cool. And one thing that we like to do here at Nimsy is make sure that you guys, our followers, our audience, our viewers, uh, whoever you are, are aware of cool tools that are out there on the market. So if you missed this at the Process Innovation Challenge, here we go. And Meet Sarah. She has just joined Sloom, a fast growing technology company Sloom. as its new localization manager. Sarah has over 10 years of industry experience, yet she feels this job will be a huge challenge for her. Sloom has thousands of employees and millions of users in 150 countries. It creates more and more content in a dozen languages each month. Time to market is one of the key goals for Sloom, but so is customer experience and a strong global brand. Sarah's predecessor has done a solid job deployed a TMS and onboarded many suppliers. Not all of them are even human. LSPs, freelancers, in-country reviewers, and empty engines are at service disposal. However, there seems to be a bit of a problem. Apparently, Sloom has quality issues. Dozens of complaints land on Sarah's desk each week from regional offices, support teams, and social media. I have to pause this here. Google translated typo on main page. Who the hell wrote this? <laughs> Non-native translator. Yeah. Yeah. These are, these are real these examples. These are the usual they? suspects, right? Almost real examples, <laughs> sucker. They come from my own industry experience. So I've seen a fair share of those in the past, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Their marketing copy feels unnatural. Their machine translated knowledge base doesn't help. And our clients in Germany and Japan are getting upset. So is the Sloom CEO. Sarah knows that global customer experience is why she was hired at Sloom. If she cannot fix it in six months, she is out. Of course, Sarah has a plan. She used to handle this very well. A few emails here, some spreadsheets there, put private tables on top, push the vendors a bit. Sounds simple, right? Nope. 
not of the scale, not of the tempo. And Sarah's boss was very clear that there is absolutely no budget for hiring a quality manager this year. This sounds like pretty standard stuff right here, pretty standard problem <laughs> statements. <laughs> and I need, I need to stay on mute. I've got background noise, so I'll, I'll make this video last as long as possible. Yeah, it's going to what be What is Sarah going to do? Meet Ada, a virtual translation quality manager that helps Sarah tackle Sloom's quality issues. No new hires required. Sarah sets the strategy, while Ada handles the tactics. Ada connects directly to Sarah's TMS and works 24-7. Finally, Sarah can take a break from emailing spreadsheets. Ada is proactive. She automatically initiates quality evaluations warns Sarah about problems and shares feedback with translation suppliers, both human and machine. Ada has a great memory. She remembers all priorities and all historical data about quality and focuses on the riskiest parts of the quality landscape based on past reality and predicted future trends. Ada is cost efficient. She invests Sarah's quality budget in the smartest way by choosing what to measure, how to measure, and who will measure. No product can do this yet. This is another innovation from Content Quo coming up for Christmas 2020. Subscribe on our website for news. Thank you. Yeah, I was just re-watching this, and thanks for playing the stock. And I thought we, we might have been a little bit too optimistic with the, with the if schedule you work in here. A team, you should be using Monday.com. It was that autoplay. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you, you play my stuff. I play your stuff, right? That's that's the way that those pop-up events go. Yeah. Pretty cool. So what do you think, Taka? I'm not sure you have seen this one before, to be honest. Yeah, I haven't seen this one before. I haven't seen this one before. Mm -hmm. That's Honestly, that's kind of why I wanted to watch it here during the live stream. But, um, we're, you know, we're talking about the title of this, whatever we're doing here, um, discussion is... Um, language quality past future and present is is this the future of language quality and why 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 do we need to go in this direction to a more automated solution before we get into mm. the nitty-gritty because i have questions about how this mm -hmm. works too mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. sure sure but before we get into like how it works like the actual of it um talk to me about like why is there a demand for this hmm now, I have two answers to this. Uh, first one may be the, the pragmatic one. Uh, and this is coming from our experience, you know, working with some of the largest vocalization departments and translation teams in the world. They already hire people to manage language quality today, right? So we have a bunch of actual live people with pretty huge salaries, you know, making a living on reducing the risk of inadequate quality of translations for their organization. So we reckon if that's happening already now, if people are investing into that, why not find a way to make the job of those people more efficient, more effective, and you know reduce the amount of the people that uh, those localization teams need to hire. So in, in that very pragmatic sense, I'm pretty sure it should be interesting and attractive to be able not to hire, you know, three more language managers for Spanish each coming year as your demand grows. Uh, so that's kind of the, the pragmatic parts, the, the economy of it. Um, I would say that maybe, I don't know, conservatively, 40% of a quality manager's work 
is actually spent on stuff, on, on actions that can almost be entirely automated away. And yeah, especially for larger teams, that, that should make a lot of economic sense. So that's the, again, the pragmatic part of it. And then there's also the, um, the, 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 how do they say it's in America? Uh, the, the, the pursuit of happiness, right? I think that's, this is how the, the constitutional expression Life, goes. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yes. Thank you, Tucker. Uh, I'm not American, but like, I've been listening to, to uh, some stuff about the Constitution lately. Um, I'm so, sorry. Like, this it, is exactly nobody, it. Nobody is perfect. Nobody is perfect. <laughs> <you're> <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so like, what I'm talking about here is uh, like, why we decided to explore this area is like we believe that we need to do something in this industry to make a difference for the future. Lots of technologies available that could be put to good use, and we already have lots of them assembled in you know our existing product in the content core technology solution. So, uh, my second um, answer to that question is another question that is why not? Why the hell not do this? Right. Does this make sense? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I wanted to touch on one thing that, that you had mentioned there, which was 40% of LQA work can be automated in, in your estimation. And why not hmm. put that into a tool? What are we talking about? And this leads nicely into, like, I want to bring it down into, like, what does the tool actually do? Like, when people are looking to automate their LQA processes, what things should they be looking to automate specifically? What tasks, um, why, and what does that look like? So what are some of the tasks mm -hmm. that you should automate? And thank you, everybody who's watching in the comments. We'll get to your comments in a sec. If you have a question uh, about, not just about ADA, this tool that we're talking about, about quality, past, present, and future, make sure to leave it in the comments and we'll get to those. So here Absolutely, are... absolutely. Uh, like, uh, let's, let's, let's do the sucker before we go into what let's explore the why, okay. because I think the why commonly gets misunderstood. Um, that's a really good point. Thank you for that. Yeah. Let's attack this from, from two angles. Shall we? So like, uh, first of all, on quality and, and why it matters, right? Uh, the way that we see it, um, I don't know. We're talking about America a little bit today. America has. Well, how many people? Three, three hundred million people, a, a bit too many, 400 million people. So uh, to put things in perspective, uh, this is directly related to quality. If something happens, uh, you know, with a chance of once per one million times, uh, that means in America, this exact very, very unlikely event will happen about 300 to 400 times every single day was the probability of one in a million, right? Okay. That's basically how statistics work. Sure. So quality management is about exact same thing. No matter how hard you try to do good when you're producing your translations, something somewhere will go horribly <laughs> wrong at scale, okay? So that's a good distinction. It will not only go wrong, <laughs> It will go wrong at scale because when we're talking about language, we're talking about localization. We're talking about multiplying effects, right? If if there's a problem in the source, then you're translating it into 20 languages or and localizing it into 30 markets. Then guess what? It's going to be multiplied 30 times at least, right? 
Yeah, and not not to even mention machine translation, Taka, which can do like a crazy amount of mistakes per second if you oh, don't boy. prep it up for success. So like we've learned really well how to scale everything in this industry where this huge, huge force multiplier, right? This economic multiplier, the sales multiplier, but unfortunately crappy stuff also gets multiplied and, and <laughs> to fight that to counter that this is why we need quality management it's like uh, i'm i'm ethnically russian i live in estonia but i'm ethnically russian i i'm kind of a pessimist here i, I believe that if bad things can happen uh, at scale they most definitely will so you know just like a boy scout you better be prepared for that you better have a plan and if what you can't prevent, and most likely you will not be able to prevent all the catastrophic failures in your translation program. You'd better be prepared for to deal with as swiftly, as efficiently as possible, so as to never repeat them again. So this is kind of the overarching question of why quality management or whether it's relevant in the future. Okay. I think it will learning to go at the speed of light in terms of how we produce content and of course, all the all the bad things, all the bumps we get along the way, they just get hugely multiplied as we all scale, as the world globalizes and stuff. And and with machine translation, this will continue to speed up at an even more <laughs> spectacular pace. So, like, I honestly believe we'll always need quality management as a discipline because somewhere in some localization programs, something will always go wrong every single day no matter how hard we try. So this is kind of the mindset from which we, we built uh, content quo. We call it trust, but verify, okay? It's an it. age-old Russian I saying. Say that all trust, the, oh, that's Russian? Verify. I use that all the yeah. time, right? I use really? That, yeah, and you know, just to, to back up, there's a fine line between, what, what did you call yourself, pessimist? You, you say, a pessimist, yeah. There's a fine line between pessimism and realism. So I don't want I don't want anyone to be too hard on themselves for being a pessimist, right? Because the world needs people like us. <laughs> mm. So so that's the why. That's the why. That's, so that's I, the why. I, I yeah, this start is why I think why. we'll stick around. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the first level of why, really. Like this is to explain why quality management matters at all. Like people should think about it because things fail all the time, right? So like it just makes sense to to pay attention to quality management. It can help you out in a in a pinch. Now, um, in terms of exploring the kind of the second level of why, let's say, yeah, but <laughs> right. how do we make it practical, Kirill? It's like, what does it matter for my localization program? Like, it's great to know the theory. It's great to know statistics. Like, okay, like, uh, let's, let's talk practical stuff. Like, why manage quality specifically in your localization team? There, there are at least three practical outcomes that I think you can get if you start going that direction, if you have not already started, of course. Number one, uh, and that's a question. Do you guys currently do in-country review of your content? Okay. Most teams do this in, in, you know, in some shape or form. But did you realize that quality management practices and approaches can actually help you reduce the amount of in-country review that you do without sacrificing quality and actually speed up the time to market you have for your localized content, reduce the amount of work that's actually done by those poor 
part-time in-country marketers trying to help out and so on and so forth. And release lots of frustration that's usually hanging around in-country review in this industry. So that's like one big practical outcome you can achieve if you do it right. Okay. Does this make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Mm. So uh, that's the first question. You're going through questions. Do you do do in-country review? What's the next question? Yeah, the next question. Do you guys test your localized software? Okay, not everybody's okay. localizing marketing. There's still lots of product teams out there really, really focused on, you know, shipping apps, shipping web apps, like whatever is the latest trend. Uh, most smart teams, and I used to be one back in the day, uh, so I know a little bit about that. Uh, they usually test their localized products before they ship. Sure. Now, what usually well, happens... Well, what does that mean, though, is testing? Be huh? Because this, this is one of those things, like quality. Anytime we're talking about testing, I want to clarify. Mm -hmm. Are we talking about uh, linguistic testing, localization te testing? You know, are you using an emulator, using screenshots? Like, what I find is testing, sometimes the, devil's, the devil is in the details, right? So when you're talking about testing... Are you talking about, mm -hmm. you know, testing for functionality of the localized builds, just to make, you know, internationalization testing? Are you talking about linguistic testing, you know, looking for truncations, mistakes, stuff like that? Uh, great question, Taka. I, I would focus more on the linguistic testing or localization testing, as most teams would know that. Lots of ambiguity around how it's actually called in the industry. Some teams call this yeah. LQA. Some teams use LQA for an entirely different process. Like I'm deliberately avoiding the use of any acronyms here. So this is why I chose a really, really simple word. Testing for localization problems in your localized software, whether it's live, like in the actual app or in screenshot, that's immaterial, okay. right? That's just the, the tactics of it. Now, what usually happens- <laughs> Sorry for complicating when... it for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry for complicating <laughs> love it. it. <laughs> Go, yeah. Uh, now, what usually happens during testing is you find bugs, right? This is kind of the natural outcome of testing. This is your very traditional quality control process, uh, and the, you kind of expect to find bugs. And what usually happens, what, bugs fall in two, uh, you know, two distinct buckets. There are things that can never be found without testing, okay? Mm -hmm. And there's the other sort. There are actually bugs that could have been found before you test, but nobody actually tried hard enough to do that. So like, when you find a mistranslation, when you find a wrong term, when you find a string that's too long, like, ask yourself, what's the percentage that this type of bugs actually uh, takes up in your localization testing program? Now, kind of going back to our quality topic, a quality management focused approach can help you reduce the amount of such bugs you detect mm -hmm. at the testing stage because you can actually catch them earlier than testing. And this is much cheaper to do. Everybody who tries to ship localized software knows it's easy to fix a resource fail. It's super tough and super hard to fix a bug after it has been filed. Um, so, like, that's another strong benefit and, that a quality and, program can bring you. And let me just say that this is, um, you know, another thing that people love to talk about in this industry besides quality is return on investment, ROI. What is the mm. ROI of localization? And 
It's a tricky subject, but you know, there's certain things that within localization, within internationalization, globalization, within all those activities, there are certain things that are easier to um, understand and predict the return on your right. investment than others. And this, I would argue, is one of them because you can measure, like, you can measure the hours spent fixing bugs. Right. And if that if that those hours go down after you implement a quality at source process or LQA or LQE process or whatever it is, then it's a reasonable assumption to be made that that's directly contributing to that, which is therefore lowering your costs and increasing your return on that. Investment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tucker. And that's exactly the same and maybe even more true for in-country review. Because uh, you can easily, you know, quantify the time to market improvements that you have. You can easily quantify the the effort that it takes the in-house teams to fix the problems, and they are usually much more vocal than software testing teams because they are not paid to test the content, unlike the software testing teams. So yeah, usually return on investment or like return on quality, as we call it, is easy like to that. be found in one of those uh, two areas, right? If you have marketing or if you have software. Um, last one though, uh, kind of before we go into the nitty gritty, the, the number three, like uh, let's call it, if everything like, else you're, fails. You're really trying to avoid going into the nitty gritty. <laughs> I'm gonna get <laughs> you there. Spent, I've spent, uh, Two hours last week at Lockworld going into Nitty Gritty yeah. Tucker. So I'm I, I know I you want to explore that's, other stuff. That's for why today. I can joke with you. I know you can go into the Nitty Gritty. And frankly, the Nitty Gritty kind of bores me sometimes. So this this is fine. Yeah, like we right. have the luxury today not to go in, in, in there too too early or too deeply. Absolutely. So, so like, just last one. To recap really mm -hmm. quick. Number one was do you do in-country reviews? Number two was do you test your localized builds, your localized software? And now number three is number three is like do you give feedback to your translation vendors or to your linguists right um i think the, the return on investment is a little bit further away in this area but we also find that many more teams kind of realize the need to help their vendor do a better job mm -hmm. and if achieve continuous improvement and other warm and fuzzy things that almost every localization manager has tried to do, you know, at some Hashtag. some points in, in in their career. Partnership. Uh, so partnership. Like if, yep. <laughs> partnership, partnership. Yeah. Whatever. These aren't Evangelism. My These are my partners. Yes. I'm not selling. I'm and evangelizing. The other, yeah, the other thing. Stuff. Yeah. We went through that extensively at last week's um, at last week's uh, unconference with uh, Theresa Marshall and the that's, rest of the wonderful crew. I think that's where this conversation started. Is that where this exactly, started? Exactly. Exactly. This is where you caught me uh, on not talking about quality. So I'm, and, I'm glad to be able to you, continue that. You sent story. me a message. I, I'm the one that brought up quality in an unconference, and then I think Kirill sent me a message saying. Tucker, I'm eating lunch. You almost made me throw up. Stop talking about quality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really fun. This is why I'm here tonight. Thanks for having me yeah, again, yeah. Tucker. So yeah, last bit to wrap this up uh, real quick. Like, if you do nothing else, like if you don't care about your, you know, in-country partners, if you don't care about the hard work that you're testing and software teams, do, like at least you can definitely care about your LSPs, about your linguists, about your translators. If you help them do a better job for your, you know, organization for your company, they will probably like you in return, or at least hate you a little bit less. Uh, so that's the the other thing where I think a quality program can be incredibly useful because it allows you to both increase the amounts of feedback that you give out to your 
vendors to help them translate better and also make the feedback more effective by structuring it, by getting you metrics, by getting you visibility into how your vendors perform, right? So if nothing else, you'll learn who's doing a good job, who's doing an average job and who's doing a crappy job. And that gives you peace of mind when you manage 40 plus languages, most of which, let's face it, will never speak in this life or even the next one. Yep, and that peace of mind. I feel that. I feel that because I mean, when when you're selling and quality, you're not selling words. You're selling peace of mind, mm. right? You're selling a, mm. a solution. You're selling, you know, basically like someone that, or when you're buying, right? When you're buying quality services, quality related services, what you're buying is peace of mind. It's like insurance. It's like buying insurance. Insurance, exactly. It's exactly it's a form like of buying insurance. insurance. Yep. Like it's not even that metaphorical. It is buying insurance for the quality of your stuff. So, so to recap, the three questions you need to ask is, do you do in-country reviews? Number two, do you trust localized or do you test no, handwriting? Do you test localized, your localized software builds? And number three, do you give feedback to your translators? Very, very important because number one and two, if you're getting that review feedback, if you're um, doing those tests and logging those bugs, if that feedback's never getting to your translators, then they're not going to improve. Like it's not going to improve over time and you're going to keep logging the same bugs. You're going to keep finding the same errors over and over and over again. So that's the, this is the why. This is the, the diagnosing, kind of figuring out what the problem is. Um, that's the diagnosis. What's the prognosis, right? Like what's the, what's the prescription here? Um, what, how, do we, how do we automate quality? And because those... Man, that seems like I'm going to get hate just for saying those two words together at the same time. Automated quality, right? But how do you do that? And then we'll get yeah. into some questions. And we've got questions in the comments, guys. If you're in the comments, thank you for being patient. Keep putting your questions in there, and we'll get to those um, towards the end. Okay, cool. So like when we say those two words together, talk about automating quality, there are two very different parts that can be automated. Okay. I want to cover both briefly. Uh, one is automating uh, the, the workflow around quality, okay? That's content quotes territory in terms of, you know, what our product does. We help you run your quality workflow at scale to reduce the amount of overhead you have to bear and to speed up the insights that you get into the quality of your translations. So that part is definitely automatable. Now, the second part, many people, especially those coming from a language background, they like to think there will be a day when, uh, you know, something, a, a machine can look at a text, maybe a bilingual text, and instantly judge how good or bad that is. Uh, this is actually already happening. Uh, if you have missed it, there are huge advances in the area of quality estimation for machine translation output. And at the last local world, there was a really, really cool presentation from Lilt, who have demonstrated how their machine learning model can actually spot and correct errors in, in translation. They call it the automated reviewer or an auto review, okay? So the truth is 2021, this is where we are today. Both parts can be automated. Now, the really difficult part that cannot be automated that remains is the strategy, okay? 
the insurance plan, so to say, or the investment plan, as we like to call it. So we can do so many things with our quality budget. How do we deploy it? And like once you make your bets, it's like a casino, okay? Place your bets. It's red or black. It's odd or even. Like once you make your bets, something else can spin the wheel and see what you actually get as a result and place the next bet alongside the strategy that you define. So that's kind of the third area or the third layer of automation that we see. And this is exactly what Ada by Content Qual, this virtual quality manager thing was about. Um, so yeah, this is kind of how the quality automation landscape looks to me right now in the year 2021. So Ada is focusing more on the third and not the workflow. I would have thought that the the workflow aspect, the first aspect that you talked about when it comes to quality management, I, I would think that that would be the most ripe for automation. Um, oh, that's absolutely true, Tucker. This is why we already solved this at Content Quo. So Content Quo automates okay. the, the flow of the quality oh, process it, in it's just some so... of the largest teams in the world. Okay, yeah, I'm just behind. Okay, so it's just like so like boring that we don't even talk about it now. It's just happening. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's yeah, why it's you... definitely happening. Check out what we talked about last it's week like, at Lock World. Tucker, uh, come on. That's, cool that's old. Like, that's like boring about, old. I'm not here to talk stuff. about that. Exactly. Let's talk about new stuff. So yeah, th this is, I wouldn't say this is old news. Not all teams have actually heard about it yet. Not all teams have explored the, the, the chance to automate their flow. Truth is like there's horrendous overheads. If you try to run your quality program manually, like we've calculated across different teams that we work with on every single quality assessment that they run, for whatever reason, right? Maybe in country review analysis, maybe looking at LQA testing results, maybe scrutinizing machine translation output. That would be another like use case for quality programs. On every single inspection they do, they lose two hours, three hours, four hours of highly paid work on doing the boring stuff shuffling files around, yep. doing copy and paste, yep. you know, placing things between folders, email clients, FTPs and stuff. The good old boring work that everybody hates, but, you know, people still need to keep doing it because otherwise everything just, you know, stops and lights off. No quality program for you kind of thing. <laughs> so that part is easily solved. Awesome. Sorry, you caught me off guard here. Um, you know, I'm just I'm looking at the clock here, and I don't I don't know what your schedule's like, but I am good for a little while. But let's start. I want to get to these questions. So let's let, do that. Let's check this out. And oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> even see all of them. Love to, <laughs> love to see William Dan. Love to see a fellow pessimist thriving thank you. <laughs> thanks well thank let's connect the LinkedIn for that <laughs> yes please do Iman what about categorizing errors whether it is mistranslation language style etc could it be done automatically Ooh, let's talk about that um, I'm gonna let you take that did you hear that so yeah error categorization is this something mm -hmm. that is is there potential for automation there there is definitely potential for automation. Uh, like just last week at Content Quo, we've actually debated uh, where the best use of you know machine learning would be for our stuff, for quality stuff, and and this is actually one of the ideas that we're planning to explore with some customers uh, that have lots and lots of data available. 
So we'll probably try and build a model to see if we can predict some of the categories. Um, the reason for that is actually more interesting than the ability. So when you scale a quality program, like uh, one of the big concerns becomes whether your different evaluators, so the people who assess whether quality is good, average, or poor, whether they do it the same way. So kind mm. of uh, the, the cleanliness of data that you collect, uh, the, the quality metrics themselves, you, you make big, important decisions based on them. You want to make sure that the, the data they gather is as uniform, as consistent as possible. So it's like it's a data quality question now. And we find that specifically for that purpose, in large quality operations, like we run some of them that have hundreds of evaluators, for example, working on a daily basis. And like there, it's a big enough deal to bother with trying to automatically categorize or at least try and correct some mistakes that humans might sometimes make, give them a chance to enter cleaner data into the system that can later be used for better, more reliable decisions, especially when money is at stake, like a contract and, and so on and so forth that can be terminated on the basis of enough quality programs. So yeah, we see lots of potential there. Interesting. Yeah, it makes me think of what you were talking about. makes me think of something I heard at a Taos conference. I believe you were talking about Lilt. I believe it was Spence Green that said it um, from Lilt that, you know, when, when we talk about when will machine translation reach human parity, we forget that most humans haven't reached human parity yet, <laughs> which is true, which is true. Most human, Absolutely. you know, it's like, it's like driving a, you know, it, it's like the autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars, right? It's mm. one accident and it's in front page news, right? Oh my gosh, these are so unsafe. Everything's bad. You know, you can't trust the automation, but how many people die every single day because they fell asleep at the wheel or because they were distracted on their cell phone? Right. And no kidding. We as humans have this unreasonable desire to hold machines to a higher expectation than what we hold ourselves sometimes. Right. But yeah. I, I digress back to back to the questions um, that we have here. And I saw it's not on another one from Iman. It's not on screen anymore. But is it a merge? But okay, is it merge between machine and human QA specialists slash reviewers? like the well-known QA tools, LTB, Xbench, et cetera. Hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Sure. This is actually a pretty deep question. Uh, I want to clear up this like very, very oh, good. common you understand misconception what she means. around that. Okay. <laughs> I totally do. Good, good, I, good, good. I get this all the time. So like uh, two fundamentally different things. And it took me like almost, uh, you know, 18 years to realize that, uh, to be honest. Two fundamentally different things. Uh, one is producing the translation in the first place. And this is where your traditional uh, automatic quality control tools are used. This is where you have your review process and so on and so forth. Basically, everything you do before you publish, before you ship, before you deliver the translation to the customer, that is the production process, okay? That's actually not what quality management for me is about. So like you do your best job there was the best tool there. Like what I'm talking about here, what we talk about as content quality when we talk about managing language quality, I'm talking about this chance of your production team failing despite all the odds, despite using all the best tools, despite using all the smartest reviewers, right? 
and they will fail, like we said in the beginning. Something that happens, you know, with one a million chance per day will happen daily if you do certain things a million times. This is the quality management product, the real quality management process. And, and this by, is where you do the heavy lifting. By the way, just to interject, that's good news. Like when you say mistakes will happen, um, you know, as we say, shit happens, right? And mm. as a quality manager, I think the reaction to that is, but it, it doesn't have to, right? Like it is my job to make sure. And good, good. Like that's the attitude you should have. You should take your job seriously. But at the same time, it's like, no, that it's good news that shit happens because that's why you have a job, right? <laughs> so it's like, don't – I'm trying to figure out how, how to put this. I'm not making much sense. But it's like, yes, you know, strive to eliminate the the mistakes, the errors and everything like that. But you're never, ever, ever going to release all of them. If if or get rid of all of the errors. If you have 100% perfect quality and you never make a mistake across any languages, guess what? You are doing it wrong. You're not taking risks. Oh, yeah. You're not pushing the limits. You're not exploring new innovations for cost savings. You're, you know, you're doing it wrong if, if your quality is perfect, frankly. That's very, very true, Taka. And I think like one other important aspect we learn when we make mistakes. So to right. me, quality management, the processes that the content quality makes, they are about enabling faster learning from mistakes that have been found and corrected. That's kind of how quality works. You look back, you see what has been fixed by all the amazing auto review tools, by human reviewers, by testers, and you try to analyze and figure out how the hell do we avoid this problem from coming back again? And then we do things to our process, to our vendors, to our tools. We try our best, but well, you know the rest. That's another um, age-old Russian saying. So like quality people will never be out of job if they push their limits hard enough. Things will break. Yep. Yep. I like that. Wow. The more Russian sayings I learn, the more I just want to learn Russian. <laughs> right? I really do. You're welcome. And sorry if I was distracted as you were talking. Kristaps was cracking me up here in the comments. He says, just, <laughs> just named my newborn Ada. Your virtual Wonder Woman better be good, Grill. So, wow. It's, uh, yeah, Paldis, Kristaps, Paldis. I appreciate, appreciate what you're doing there. And uh, congratulations on, on your newborn. Yeah, indeed. Congratulations. Um, Congratulations. I've got three of them myself. Thank God they're oh my. downstairs. I only have one, Tucker. Uh, and he's far away with his mom vacationing in, 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 a, in a hotter climate than what Estonia offers. Oh, man. I'm a, it, it, a happy single man tonight. The, live the bat That's why you're here. That's why you're doing this with me. That's well, why I'm Exactly, exactly, exactly. This is the only time I could do that. So the, the, the timing couldn't be more perfect. Yeah, well, thanks for thanks for spending your your bachelor night with me. I think <laughs> we're coming up on the forty five minute mark, and that's kind of where I like to. That's that's the sweet spot I've found for these little talks. And this is going to be going out on. Well, this is live right now for those of you that have joined us. Uh, got 
some folks over on LinkedIn, got some people watching on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of that stuff. Right after this, this will be published as a uh, podcast. So Nimsy is in the podcasting business now. So find us, find Nimsy Live on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of that stuff. You can find Last Week in Localization with Sarah Hickey, my colleague. She goes live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Um, what else am I forgetting? Carol, help me out. What am I forgetting? I need to plug Nimsy, right? Nimsy Insights. We do market oh, research yeah. and consulting for the language services industry. If you haven't heard of us, then that means I want to talk to you because I want to tell you all the cool things that Nimsy does. We do market research. We do uh, go-to-market strategy, market entry research. We do a lot of stuff like what we're talking about today, um, doing audits of people's localization programs and identifying where are some areas that can be automated. You know, if, you're, if your boss is on your back to milk some more efficiencies out of your localization, your globalization department, call us. We might have some ideas for you. And with that, I will give you, sir, the final words since you spent your evening with us. What's the, what's the one takeaway yeah. or plug, um, whatever. Uh, can we do a plug for the, for the Nimsy audience, Tucker? I would rather take one more question if I may. Yeah. Oh, one more question. Is there, is there one more question I missed? I'm not sure. We can't see them all maybe. So I just wanted to double check if, if that is an option. Yeah, I think we're, um, I think we got through all of the questions. So for those of you down there in the comment section, thanks for joining us today. So all right. Yeah. Then one last thought for me, like, uh, I, I, like we talked in, in the, in the podcast, I'm a bit of a pessimist. So, uh, you can definitely, uh, hope for the best in terms of quality, but my advice after almost 20 years in this industry, do prepare for the worst <laughs> and then you and your career, uh, and your boss will do just fine. If you need tips, drop us a note. Thanks very, very much, Tucker, for having me tonight. Yes, it was Kirill Solovyev with Content Cloud. Excellent, excellent advice. Uh, prepare for the best, or wait, uh, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Thank you so much, Carol. Thank you for everybody in the comments. We will see you all next time on Nimsy Live. Make sure that you're subscribed to all of our channels so that you get notified when we go live each time. And with that, actually, we're going live again in like 45 minutes. Not you, sorry. I've got, I've got another victim. Um, I'm double booked today. So come on back, hang out with us, and um, we will see you then. With that, ciao.